Hey there, I'm Mike. Some of you know me from the Twisted Cape. Some of you know me because I smoked two joints in time of peace and two in time of war. But regardless of how you know me, you know I love comics, and that's what we talk about on this podcast. Welcome, welcome, welcome to Mike's Big Stack. Oh, hell yeah, my thickies. Welcome to the show, everyone. Recording this week at Studio Thicky 4. Quick reminder to make sure you follow us on Twitch to watch us play games like Marvel's Avengers and other superhero video games. The link to the Twitch channel is in our show notes. Lots more episodes of Mike's Thick Stack will be dropping over the next few days, so make sure you subscribe to the channel if you haven't. Now for the city shoutouts. Going international to start, hey Brussels, thanks for coming back. Barcelona, you are balls. Hell yeah, Schwanksville, PA. Hell yeah. Oakland, California, how are you? Hey down in Richardson, Texas. And finally, my childhood home of Ambler, PA. Hello. As always, we start by reading the thickness of my stack, so make sure you take out the trash while we check out Mike's Thickometer. Oh yeah, Mike's Thickometer. Thick like my homemade mac and cheese, this week clocks in at a 6 out of 10 on Mike's Thickometer. It's a good amount of books, nothing too crazy, but it's still a lot of work for you. Get that work. Do that work, work, work. Anyway, this week we begin with the Marvel books. Starting with Amazing Spider-Man number 51.LR, I give this a 4 out of 5. This villain issue seems to be anything but. It seems Sin Eater has survived and is propping up his following again, as the possessed order of the web is causing chaos around the city as being reported by Nora Winters. Meanwhile, Doctor Strange visits Black Cat to reclaim the hand of the Vishanti, which she's 3D printed a copy of, which is a great prank. MJ's on a bridge coming back to Manhattan in traffic when the order of the web attacks and a car is flipped onto her taxi. Over the chaos, we get cuts of Sin Eater crying out that he won't feel kindred again and that he has a mission to complete. Amid that attack, the cables holding the bridge get snapped. MJ's driver gets rescued, and she is rescued by Norman Osborn before she passes out. A member of the Sin Eater's cult attempts to leave and promptly gets murdered in a grisly, grisly way by the Sin Eater. Sin Eater says that his next step is clear. He's going to cleanse the one known as Morlin and take his power. I really like this issue, specifically the lack of Spider-Man and Kindred. I like having that story off in the main book. There are so many moving parts, and it's nice to get all of the perspectives, including MJ, who had her own title. If you didn't read it, which I did not, you get caught up here. I think the book just looks awesome, especially the Doctor Strange design. Awesome book, and it feels like these Last Remains tie-ins are imperative for the overall story, so don't miss out. Next up, we have Avengers number 38. I gave this a 4 out of 5. This issue starts the follow-up from the Age of Khonshu, and Mephisto is a clear and present danger directly in front of the Avengers. The Avengers have their hands full. T'Challa offers Moon Knight Avengers membership, which he declines. Also, T'Challa thinks he'll be back. He always thinks they'll be back. Tony, Steve, and Carol discover the fact that Mephisto has an army being raised throughout time and alternate dimensions. Doctor Strange, Iron Fist, and Ghost Rider are all babysitting the infant baby Starbrand, talking about their intertwined fates. Thor and Blade are monitoring the Phoenix Force, and Blade asks why they haven't killed it, and Thor admits that it probably wouldn't go well. 
The rest of the book is showing how Mephisto has been work across the ages, manipulating people against the Avengers without their knowledge. Starting with the Winthrop family and going from major Marvel Universe forces throughout time, including Thanos, Apocalypse, the Hulk, and Doom the Living Planet. But, more importantly, Mephisto is making his collection from the Winthrop family alongside Howard Stark, and it seems like a big piece of the plan here is about to fall into place. If nothing else is clear, Jason Aaron has massive plans for this run. This issue also made me sad that Ed McGuinness really wasn't on the last arc because his Moon Knight rendering is awesome and now I feel a little cheated. This is generally a can't-miss book, and I feel like it's about to reclaim that status. Moving on to Captain Marvel, number 23. I gave this a 3.5 out of 5. Carol's time travel adventure continues right at last issue's cliffhanger. Carol's time travel adventure continues picking up right at last issue's cliffhanger. Luke Cage is being controlled by Ove and even goes as far as to hit Danny, Luke's daughter. Carol and a small group of friends get invited to Ove's stronghold. Carol assembles a team including Emma Frost, Jerry Drew, Katie Barton, Sora, Johnny Watts, Bridget, and Rhodes to be the envoy. Fuse fills in the backstory, which is good because I didn't read Captain Marvel the end. He tells a story about how the world changed in Carol's absence and how it had peaks and valleys, but the most recent valley has been deep. Thor was killed, disease and war took a heavy toll, and sacrifices were made. Carol of this time came back to help and reignited the sun also dying in the process. They're then attacked as a creature that seems familiar to Carol comes after them. She seemingly kills it and they move on. They arrive at Ove's stronghold, which is called New Atlantis, and Ove seems to be Namor? Not sure. I like the story a lot despite the exposition dump, but it's necessary because I didn't read the end for Captain Marvel. I also enjoy the art and creative uses of Carol's abilities in this issue. I also love the winterized uniforms being used in this issue. I think it's a badass look. Overall, I think this is building towards some good payoff, but we'll know for sure soon. Moving on to Guardians of the Galaxy number 8, I gave this a 4 out of 5. The murder mystery rolls on as Rocket takes center stage to deduce the pieces of this mystery. Clert is hopped up for justice and trusts nothing, so Rocket hands him Valor's gun and tells him to fire. It flips around and shoots him in the head, where his brain isn't. Rocket thinks that the motive is to return to galactic business as usual, so he locks the room down until he can find the murderer. Via psychic scanning, they believe it's Peacebringer, which is ironic because, you know, he's supposed to bring peace. Turns out he's not the murderer, but he does have a biobomb inside his body. In the ruckus, Rocket determines that Lanny Coaco is actually the profiteer. She admits that it's all from her except for the biobomb. As the Guardians attempt to deal with the Peacebringer situation, Zorales Gupa gets a call warning that multiple planets, including his homeworld, have been reported as dead. The Profiteer leaves, taking Peacebringer with her as Zorales tells the Council that they know what happened and who it was. Null, the King in Black himself. First of all, I love the art in this book. It's so cool and creative, especially with all the alien species and various states of distress that they're in. Also, this book has been an excellent bridge between Empire and King in Black, which is difficult to do while maintaining an identity, which is a credit to Al Ewing. Love this book. Next up, we have Thor number nine. I gave this a four and a half out of five. This is the Marvel book of the week. The Donald Blake-based story begins in this issue with a look at the question, where does Donald Blake go when he's not being Thor? For now, he's in a suburban, sunny town with kind neighbors, and an endless street to walk down. 
Thor is talking with Loki about bringing Dr. Blake back and asks Loki to lie for him. Loki declines, saying something else is wrong, and throws Mjolnir at Thor. He pieces together that Thor wants to commune with the spirits and dead kings to figure out what's wrong with Mjolnir. Loki agrees to help, but only after getting Thor to agree to an absurdly large favor in the future. Something goes wrong in the transfer, and Thor ends up in the suburbs of Donald Blake's existence instead of where he was trying to go. Except it's wildly different. People have been murdered, it looks like a war zone, and the sky is red. Thor finds the Great Serpent dead, and a now-crazed Donald Blake is free. He squares up with Loki, and then breaks the walking stick, saying that he will never be Thor again. This issue was crazy in the best possible way. I loved how it delves straight into something that made me curious for a long time, where Donald Blake actually resides, and whether or not he's actually real. There have been other flimsy explanations, but I really like this one. Thor is clearly struggling, and that is making him desperate, and to lean on Loki helps that out. I love the way that this book looks. It's an amazing look for such a dark and grisly story. I can't wait to get more out of this six-part story. Next up, we have Wolverine, Black, White, and Blood, number one. I gave this a four out of five. This story may have been the surprise book of the week to me. I expected something maybe a little different. There are three different stories and three different artists, all from different Wolverine eras. The first is a Weapon X story about how he was forced to hunt Wendigo and is about humanity more than anything else and what makes people compassionate versus cruel, like many Weapon X stories are. The next story is an espionage story with Nick Fury. There's an awesome twist that it's a planned hit at the end of the story because Wolverine is the only one capable of pulling it off. The last story is about Wolverine saving a baby by murdering a bunch of mercenaries. Pretty awesome. The stories are all creative, but let's be honest and clear right up front. The draw of this book is that it's literally in black, white, and red. It forces the artist to get really creative with their shading, and it's amazing. This is one of the prettiest and murderiest books I've read in a long time. Read this book ASAP if you like Wolverine and simple art choices. High praise right here. Okay, let's go ahead and wrap the Marvel stuff up with the X of Swords crossover. We have two issues here. First, we have X-Men number 14. I gave this a 3.5 out of 5. This issue is largely a backup issue, but it's necessary and heavily features Apocalypse and his wife Genesis. They've been separated for so long, and they finally get a moment together, thanks to Saturnine. Genesis finds Apocalypse in a garden and convinces him to walk with her as she explains what she's been through in their time apart. She explains that she was on Araka when they went to war with Ameth. She talks about how she battled and took a helm that meant she had to take control of the land, but also gave up part of herself as well because the helm controls its wearer. She initially refused to wear it, but eventually had to give in. She now acknowledges that its desires are hers and it wants Krakoa. So she wants Krakoa. She essentially calls Apocalypse weak and calls him out for making Krakoa soft and says that she'll see it in her victory. I like that we got more time with the background of Arako in this issue. The issue had a really cool look to it. I feel like some may not enjoy this issue as much as I did. It looks cool, and I feel like the history will come into play very soon. Next up, we have Marauders number 14. I'll give this a 4 out of 5. This is the calm before the storm in the form of dinner, as all calm before storms really are. The combatants meet for the first time in a cordial area. Storm seems a bit flirty with Death, one of Apocalypse's kids, and she notes that Wolverine has a bit of pensiveness about him and tells him not to mess up whatever he's planning. 
Wolverine is pissy with most people in the dining hall, which is normal one would suppose, but he saves a special bit of disdain for Brian Braddock, who could have stopped all this by shacking up with Saturnine, but there's complications here because Brian's married, blah, 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 blah. Meanwhile, Magic and Gorgon are eyeing up the competition while looking for potential weaknesses. They have a cool run-in with Genesis's sister, Iska, who's an insane badass. Even Gorgon is afraid of her. Storm goes on a dance underwater with Death, and they have another flirty confrontation, and then rejoin the party. Dinner begins, with, and Saturnine can tell something is bothering Wolverine. Meanwhile, War is seated next to Logan and sprinkles something on his food. Doesn't eat, get eaten because Logan gets in Saturnine's face about this being need, needless and stabs her with his claws as a cliffhanger. The thing I love about this issue is how there are so many moving pieces, but it somehow keeps Wolverine as the center of the issue. There's a lot of warriors respect being passed around this issue as well. The art is rock solid, as is the case on the X-Men line overall. I'm looking forward to the rest of this very much. All right, we're going to take a break and then jump into the DC books. Hey everybody, Sam here from The Twisted Cape. If you haven't already done so, be sure to check out The Twisted Cape's Tee Public page, which we have live right now for you to purchase any and all of your clothing needs with Twisted Cape logos on them. We got shirts, socks, maybe. Wow. We got other shirts with hoods on them, and they have longer sleeves. So warm. We got everything you could ever want with Twisted Cape logos on them. So, again, please be sure to check out the Twisted Cape's Tee Public page. Check out the link in the description and be sure to pick up your favorite stuff right now. Thanks, everybody. And now, back to Mike's Thick Stack. And we're back, and we're going to straighten DC books with Batman number 102. I gave this a three and a half out of five. This issue marks the debut of Ghostmaker, a rival from Batman's past. When the issue begins, we get a good idea what this guy is about and his brutal tactics. Meanwhile, Batman is being QB'd by Oracle and is cleaning up the splinters of the Joker's clowns from the Joker War. Batman comes on a crime scene and tells Oracle he has to deal with this on his own, and this is larger because he sees the Ghostmaker symbol on the wall. There's a flashback of younger Bruce trying to convince, in a very Batman way, Tommy Tavane to teach him how to use a knife. They're interrupted by a younger Ghostmaker, saying that he's already claimed this teacher, and they decide to fight for it. Back in the present, Harley gets an apartment, and she's being spied on by Clown Killer, who's being stalked by Ghostmaker, who's being stalked by Batman. It starts a fight between these two long rivals, who are now fighting to be Gotham's savior. This is a better issue than previous ones, but that's only because of all these new characters, save Punchline, are actually present in this book. That doesn't mean it's great. The art, however, continues to be a selling point of this book. Even though Jorge Jimenez isn't on this book, his style and influence is still felt. Carlo Pagulian does a nice job filling in on this issue, particularly with his design of Ghostmaker. I hope this arc becomes a starting point for a string of good stories. Next up, we have DC's Dead Planet number 5. I gave this a 4 out of 5. This one isn't for the faint of heart or people who aren't fans of Constantine. Constantine is looking for a way to stop Trigon's arrival. He gets some items and summons a team of heroes to help him along the way, including Batman, uh, who's actually Damien, Swamp Thing, Cassandra Kane, as well as the husband and wife combo of Rose and Red Hood. They make their way to Nanda Parbat, where Deadman greets them. 
Once inside, John finds the Spear of Destiny, stabs Ramakushna, and gets his team on the move to the Rock of Eternity for Shazam's staff. Shazam! Rose gets a premonition that leads to Jason's death at the hands of Captain Marvel Jr. Cassandra finds the staff and becomes imbued with powers after shouting Shazam, and then beats down Captain Marvel Jr. Jason dies on the floor in Rose's arms, and the team goes back to their spot in Gotham. Rose makes Constantine promise that this is worth it, and Batman punches him directly in the face. At the end, he's greeted by the Spectre, who basically lets him know that he's keeping an eye on things. I loved how this story went and all the heartache that it's put us through so far. It might not even be worth it at the end of all things. The art in this book is pretty damn good as well. I really like how the big moments are being handled. Next up, we have Hellblazer Rise and Fall number 2. I gave this a a 4.5 out of 5. This is your DC Book of the Week. Yes, yes, we're doubling up on both Constantine and Tom Taylor Love this week, and for good reason. This book starts with a bit of a head trip. John in bed with the devil. Quick flashback to the night before, and they talk about how and why Satan is at John's doorstep. The Demon Despondeo. This minor demon got too big for his britches and got slapped down by the devil. He got loose when John and his friends messed around with magic, got stronger, and ripped off Satan's wings, and Satan wants him back. John suggests they get drunk, and that's how they got there. Or so it seems. It's an illusion by the devil who has a good laugh about it. So did I. John gets a call alerting him to Gary's death, and he goes to the crime scene where he eventually comes across Gary's ghost and begrudgingly decides to help him. Along with Aisha, they all go visit Billy's dad, who they quickly figure out knows more than he's saying. He's being held hostage by Despondeo in his son's body. On the way out, the devil makes it clear that he doesn't like being commanded by simple mortals by ripping out a guard's insides. After going their separate ways, John comes across Billy, kicks him in the nuts, and is immediately jumped for kicking what looks like a 10-year-old kid. Billy immediately kills his would-be defenders, and before he attacks John, the devil steps in. They get back together with Aisha to arrest Billy's dad, who, at John, John's request, hits him with a chair, allowing Aisha to keep him under arrest for assault. John tells Aisha to go home, and when she gets there, Billy is inside with her family. I love this book because of how dark and also how weird it gets. It's nice to have a book with some decidedly British humor inside it as well. And this book looks awesome. It's one of my favorite books to read and look at this week. Next up, we have Justice League number 56. I gave it a three and a half out of five. This is the continuation of the Doom Metal story right here. The Omega Knight didn't kill the team at the end of the last issue, but they aren't feeling great. There's a part where Kendra and Mindhunter are in the Mindscape talking, and Hawkgirl breaks free back to the real world and physically fights him. Meanwhile, Nightwing is prepared to surrender to the Omega Knight and meet his death, but Detective Chimp saves him on Comet the Horse, who is now invisible. Kendra frees Jean while Chimp saves Cory, Lex, and Vic. Reunited, the team goes for a frontal assault, leading to Chimp seeing he has a way to get the power necessary to destroy the tower. He climbs the tower and gets Omega Knight's attention. He blasts and destroys the tower, and likely Chimp as well, leaving Nightwing and the others at the hands of the Legion of Doom. The story is fun, and we've now seen a turnaround from Detective Chimp from last issue to this one. Nightwing has faltered as a leader, and he's set up to come back strong from this in the next issue. I enjoyed the art in this issue, largely the designs of the characters right now. I'm also liking that Josh Williamson is doing with this team. I've said it before, I hope he stays on this book after it's done. 
Okay, finally this week we have Young Justice number 20. I gave this a two and a half out of five. Weird thing is, being the final issue of a series that should feel more succinct, this feels all over the place. There's a lot of Teen Lantern in this book. There's a predicament with most of the team being knocked out at the beginning of the book, and an I bet you wonder how I got here moment, complete with a flashback. The team is getting set up at Mount Justice alongside their mentor, Red Tornado. Red Tornado defends the site, taking down most of the team. They get it together and then come across Jon Stewart, who's looking to stop Teen Lantern from being Teen Lantern. The team comes to her defense and lets him know the team is sanctioned by Superman. They then have a secret team meeting that's a campfire, basically. There's no real substance on this book, and it had some that had some real clear highs, but goes out on a low low. The saving grace is that this book looks incredibly good. The art is crisp, and if the series comes back at any point in the future, I definitely want Scott Godolowski on this book for art. Okay, as we go ahead and start to wrap up, if you want to be on the show, hit me up on Twitter, at SpiderMike29. Looking ahead to next week, I'm looking forward to reading Detective Comics, number 1030, and Wonder Woman, number 766, from DC, on the Marvel end, Amazing Spider-Man, number 52, Iron Man number three, and of course the X of Swords crossover. We got some fresh stuff up on our YouTube, so please make sure you're subscribed and you don't miss a drop of our awesome content. We have some merch up on TeePublic. If you haven't done so already, hit the link in the show notes to get your hands on some of this sweet, sweet gear. That is all the time we have for this week. Of course, make sure you subscribe to the Twisted Cape on your favorite podcast platform or just listen on thetwistedcape.com. We're at the Twisted Cape, no spaces on every social media platform, Facebook, The Gram, Twitter, and YouTube. Make sure you tune in weekly on Wednesday to the Twisted Cape's live show on Facebook or on YouTube and live in them comments. We go over them at the end of every show. Finally, feel free to shoot us feedback on this show to the Twisted Cape at gmail.com and make sure you use the subject line MTS. Thanks for tuning in. So until next time, I smoke two joints before I smoke two joints. And then I smoke two more. Stay safe, wear a mask, and stay twisted. Fix that.